0: Well, guys, good morning. I am going to be doing something that's a little different today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that's strange. I, normally, if Christmas is over, I'm done and I'm moving on. I'm actually going to preach a Christmas message because it's just like like less than 24 hours ago, it was still Christmas. So I'm going to be preaching a Christmas message today. Are you all judging me right now? Like, are you, I feel, feel your judgment. I, I feel judgment. No, kidding. Um, so I do want you to know that it is something that I believe is a perfect transition from the new message series that we're going to be teaching uh, to the old one that we are just finishing up. But before I do talk this last time about Christmas light shining in the darkness, I want to tell you guys something that happened to me actually this morning that is super embarrassing as well as incredibly frustrating. Now, how many of you guys have a like a fairly recent device like technology, like new iPhone or something in the last couple years, something in the last couple of years with an Android. Here's, Can I just vent for a minute? Here's what I want to say. I feel like things are getting better and easier. The cameras are getting amazing. This is fantastic. But the one thing that is getting worse, there's literally something that is going backwards and it's called spell check or autocorrect. Can I get an amen? Like autocorrect is the devil. I don't know if y'all knew that or not, but that is happening. Today, I sent out a text. I sent out an email to all of you guys and autocorrect got me so bad. I want to share what happened. Here's what happened. I got my own email. And I was like, oh, this is great. I'm, you know, pouring out my heart to the church. I started off this email with a personal note and I feel so blessed to be your pastor, first lady, all of this stuff. And here's what it said. Here's what autocorrect did to me. I was trying to write. You guys are such a blessing to me. Here's what I found as I reopened my email. EHC family, you guys are a sour, a blessing to me. I just want you to know that there is nothing sour about you in my mind. And as I tried to say you are such a blessing, the devil and autocorrect and his tool of autocorrect got me with that. There's nothing sour about the way I feel about you people. I love you guys. It is so good to see you and sharing this day and all of the days leading up to this day has been such a blessing. Nothing sour. The only thing sour is, I, I don't know, is there a sour candy you guys eat or something? I don't know, but nothing else. Absolutely nothing else. You guys are such a blessing and I am proud to be your pastor and grateful for that. Uh, so uh, true confession is good for the soul. So I'm just going to tell you guys. Um, We've all had something, a temptation that we've really had to resist hardcore. I mean, the temptation has been real. I literally was walking through my parents' uh, front room the other day. I'm not going to lie to you. My wife and my daughters together gave in to the same temptation a few different times, but I was able to resist, but I'm not going to act like I'm above it all. There was a couple of times that the tractor beam almost pulled me into the temptation. It is this temptation. Have you guys seen the Hallmark movie? I mean, it's just gone off the charts. I mean, I was walking through the front room and there were beautiful people living in houses that looked like they just came from a magazine and they were all doing nice things and there was a boyfriend who was involved, but then he wasn't involved. He was a good guy, then he wasn't a good guy. It was almost enough to pull me in but I resisted the Hallmark movie. Can I get an amen if you resisted the Hallmark movie? Any of you in here? All right. But some of you gave in to the temptation, didn't you? You're not proud of it, but you did. Let me see your hands if you watched at least two Hallmark movies this week. Come on, let, let's see. I know if you, if some of y'all are like ill your dad, like your dad, you, you watched a few. Here's what I know. I asked this the other day and somebody goes, I haven't turned off the Hallmark Channel all December, man. It's just going all all December. Well, there is something incredible. It's an amazing phenomenon. A clairvoyant man can always guess what's happening in his wife's next Hallmark movie. It's breaking news from the Babylon Bee. It says, local, Hudson, uh, local man Hudson Tregnog is attracting worldwide attention for a truly miraculous ability. According to sources, he can prophetically guess what's going to happen in whatever Hallmark movie he's watching with his wife. It's amazing. I am Tregnog, oracle of Christmas romance and revealer of small town mysteries, He says, I know all, I see all, cower mortals before the awesome might of my Hallmark foresight. He says, Pilgrims have traveled from near and far to witness Tregnog's uncanny ability to guess the very next plot point of whatever Hallmark Christian ro- or Christmas romance his wife happens to be watching. Watching Hallmark movies with him just isn't fun anymore, says Hudson's wife, Kara Tregnog. Will the hardworking female executive find love in her hometown during Christmas? Will she fall in love with the wealthy millionaire carpenter who has loved her since high school? Will her lame uptight big city boyfriend make a surprise visit to Christmasville to propose just as she's falling in love with another man? Will she secure that loan for her small town coffee shop that she's always dreamed of starting? He spoils it for me every time. In spite of his newfound fame, Tregnog remains humble. I didn't ask for this power, he says, but I can only hope that I can somehow use it to make a difference in this world and make it. A better place. We're all hopeful for that. Tregnog, thank you so much. And yes, as we continue today, I'm going to be sharing some things with you from a passage of scripture that you might not necessarily think of as one of the best passages of scripture that you've ever read. How many of you guys have ever had this thing where you begin a reading plan of the New Testament and you go to Matthew chapter one and there, if you're reading in the King James version, it's so and so begat so and so or in the new international version it is something to the effect of um so and so was the father of so and so and then so and so was the father of so and so and it goes all the way through and there's about 15 18 verses and if you've kind of taken it upon yourself to read you're reading this and you're going i hope it's not all like this the whole entire new testament that i'm supposed to be reading well today i'm going to be preaching from that passage And yes, I know I shouldn't like make you uh, who are faithful to be here the day after Christmas endure all of this, but there's some really, really powerful things that we want to talk about today. So let's go to this next slide as we see it here. All scripture is God breathed according to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. So all scripture is equally inspired, but not all scripture is equally inspiring, but you look at this passage of scripture from Matthew chapter one that I'm going to be referring to just simply up on the screen. But if you want to find it on your phones, if you want to follow along there, that's fine. But some scripture simply delivers on God's promises or moves the plot along. The truth of the matter is, is that God made prophetic promises and they need to be paid off in order for us to have the opportunity to see the faithfulness as well as the trustworthiness of God. And so as God pays off the promises of making the Abraham seed, Isaac's son, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and all of these things that he predicted that Christ would be and become, they're all being paid off in Matthew chapter one. So it's incredibly important that we have this information. If you guys are with me, say, yep, got it. All right. Very cool. Very good. So very good. Here's the thing this genealogy that we see is not like other genealogies it's first of all written by the one entity in all of human history that had a way to influence what was going to be his genealogy you guys follow what I'm saying as as God's son as the eternal God's son he could change his genealogy He got to choose his genealogy. He got to choose his place and time of birth. None of us ever have that opportunity, but Jesus had it. And in the process of being able to change whatever he wanted to change and bring about whatever he wanted to bring about, we see God's hand at work and how he chooses to work in our world. And it reveals a lot. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today as we look through these things. So let's go to our next slide. This is a passage of scripture that really so powerfully addressed by Timothy Keller in Hidden Christmas. This is the book I've recommended to you. number of you guys have read it. Some of you have even read it twice. It's so good. I've read it at least two times, maybe three at this point. It is a fantastic book. And if you're looking for something to make the Christmas holiday mean something a little bit more powerful and reveal some things, check this one out. Let's go to this next slide here. And this is what he writes in Hidden Christmas. This is kind of a longer quote from the book, but I want you guys to follow along and then we'll look at the passages that he's talking about. Let's begin. It says, we live in an individualistic culture in which you recommend yourself to others with the list of your degrees, work experience, and accomplishments. That's not how it was done in a more communal, family-oriented society. Matthew chapter 1 might look like a genealogy, and it is, but it is also a resume. In those times, it was your family pedigree and clan, the people that you were connected to that constituted your resume. So a genealogy was a way of saying to the world, this is who I am. And it is interesting to know that in those days, people tinkered with their resumes just as they do today. All right. Now, that's kind of funny if you think about it. And I don't want anybody true confessing right now, but you know, you know, think about it. People tinker with their resumes just as they do today. We tend to leave out the parts of our record that might not make us look as good. And people did that in ancient times too. We know that Herod the Great purged many names from his public genealogy because he did not want anyone to know that they were connected to him. The purpose of a genealogical resume was to impress onlookers with the high quality and respectability of one's roots. But Matthew does the very opposite with Jesus. This genealogy is shockingly unlike Other ancient genealogies. To begin with, there are five women listed, all mothers of Jesus. This will not strike modern readers as unusual, but in ancient patriarchal societies, a woman was almost never named in such lists, let alone five of them. You could call them gender outsiders in those cultures. Do you guys understand what's being said here? In other words, back in the day, if they were going to talk about where you came from and who your people were, that's how we refer to it in the South. Any Southerners in the house? Y'all know what I'm saying. Those are my people, right? Those are the people that I come from. They're from my, my people are in the, in Arkansas and West Virginia, the only state in the union that is in the North, but is still decidedly South, right? That's it. That's where my people are from. Your people probably come from Texas and other places and even some other countries, right? But we have always kind of said, This is where my group comes from, often including our mother's side, including our father's side. Back in Jesus' day, never was a mother mentioned. Now, ladies, I still want y'all to leave here being my friend. I didn't say that was a good thing. I just said that's how it was. I didn't say that's how it should have been. I'm just saying that's how it was. Are we still friends, ladies? Ladies, come on. All right, a few of y'all, two of y'all are smiling at me. One of you is looking at me like it's my fault. It ain't my fault. This is how it was, but in that time, those folks would be considered gender outsiders. And again, we come to the place where Jesus can make the decision on his own genealogy and how it's written, and who does he include? He goes and he grabs the outsiders, and he includes them. Now, that alone is worth coming for today, to be honest with you, because that alone helps you and me who know that in our heart of hearts, we don't belong in this family. We're not worthy of this family. And yet we are included and brought in. He has brought the outsiders and made them insiders. And I'm grateful for that. Amen. I mean, isn't that good to know that you might be born an outsider, but you have been intentionally included as an insider in the family of Christ. But let's go to this next slide here. These are the outsiders that are listed. We're going to list through them here in just a moment in Matthew chapter 1. It begins with Tamar, and I want you to hear, and I'm going to talk a little bit, just in very, very brief passing, Tamar is mentioned, her her story is in Genesis chapter 38, and that story comes about as a woman who was kind um, kind of in an incestuous relationship. It is the kind of thing that Herod the Great would have scrubbed from his record. It is the kind of thing that you and I would hope never got found out by anybody when they're looking into who are Randy's people and where do they come from, right? Well, you would hope that they didn't figure out about Aunt Tamar or Grandma Tamar, right? Because this is an embarrassing situation. And then you have Rahab, who was the prostitute that hid spies from Joshua chapter two. So if you go back and read Joshua chapter two, you hear about the spies that come in to Jericho to spy it out. But when they do, they need a hiding place. They need a spot where they will be safe and they are hidden by a woman whose name is Rahab. And the incredible thing is Rahab's name makes it into the genealogy of Jesus. Go a little further, the other outsiders are Ruth a widowed Moabite woman. And back in those days, if you were widowed, you were in big trouble because the truth of the matter is is that in our modern world, you can make and and create industry and many women are even outstripping the men as far as earning potential and their abilities. But in those days, because it was so gender slanted towards men and all of the power resided with men, it was something that often made women who were widowed have to resort to prostitution just in order to make ends meet for their children. It's a dangerous thing to be a widow, much less a widow from another country in the nation of Israel. And Ruth, that entire book of Ruth, is a story about her, and she was that widowed Moabitess from the book of Ruth. You can go back and look at her. She also is in Jesus' genealogy. There are five total that are in there. I'm not just cherry picking. There are five total, and we're going to talk about all five very, very quickly. I'm mainly talking most about them, and then I'll show you where they show up. But then we have Bathsheba. How many of you know that name? Y'all know that name, right? Mm, That name, right? The, The world's most famous adulterous affair, probably, right? I mean, it's just incredible to think about that Jesus could have covered that up. Jesus could have shifted that around where she was not included. But Bathsheba, the woman who had the affair with King David, at King David's pursuit of her, by the way, King David and Bathsheba had the adulterous affair all listed in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And then finally we come to the the person who would be doubted all of her life that she was actually a virgin, and that is Mary, doubted for her virgin birth, From Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And yet she said, be it unto me as you have said. In other words, God, if that's what you want from me, then that's what I will do. And so these are the five outsiders listed in Jesus' genealogy. Let's go to this next slide and you'll see where they are. Well, again, here, something to learn. We talked about Herod the Great eliminating those people. Jesus did not. Let's go to our next slide there. And you don't miss this. When it comes to Christ's family, your standing does not qualify you any more than your sin. Your past sin disqualifies you for a place in God's family. So no matter who you are, what you've done, you have a place in God's family. Now, I will say that there are things in our lives that we continue to embrace that might disqualify us for leadership in God's family. But I will also say that there is a difference between leadership in God's family and a place in God's family. And so God has never taken a person and cast them out who is genuinely repentant of their own sin. And so I would say to you whether your standing that you think qualifies you to get in, or your past sin you think might disqualify you, neither one of those things are correct. All are equal at the foot of the cross, and in the face of grace, we all need it. So I'm going to ask real quick, Nain, if you don't mind, can you help me out with my microphone? Um, And then let's go to this next slide. Okay, so Matthew chapter one, verses one through three. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, who is also called the Christ. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then this is where we get into the King James version of the Begats. Uh, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and all of his brothers. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was, what? Tamar. This is the woman who is included in his genealogy and is a reminder, it is a punch in the face to be reminded that this woman had a past that everyone should be ashamed of, but Jesus says, what? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of this person And the past that comes along connected to their name. Wow, powerful. Let's go to our next slide. And then this next slide here is from Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 through 6. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And then it goes on down, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So you see where it all fits in line. And you would think that King David would be the one that they would be proud of. But they're calling special attention to the mother named Rahab. And then in the next slide, this same passage of Scripture, just highlighting the mother Ruth, who was not purebred according to Jewish customs, but yet was included this Moabite widow who was included. And then we go to this next slide, and we see again God's grace. Let's go to this next slide. And Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Do you see what he's saying? He's including the man that David had murdered to cover up his adulterous affair. He had that man murdered. He makes it into Jesus' genealogy so that the story will not be forgotten. He does not have to include the wife. He definitely doesn't have to include the man that she was married to before she gave birth to Solomon. But here's what happens. God says, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna leave it in the closet. I'm not gonna leave it hidden in the darkness. I'm gonna drag it into the light and I am going to redeem it Now we talk a lot about jesus being the redeemer and we talk a lot about that in the in the way of him being the person and the man and the savior who redeems us from our sins but i talk a lot about this because this has been so powerful in my life jesus is not only the one who redeems me from my sins but he is also the one who drags my past that i am embarrassed of and he drags it into the light and he makes it whole and a part of my story that brings glory and honor to him because I'm not perfect and I know that I'm speaking to a bunch of people who aren't perfect. Can I get an amen, right? And isn't it a beautiful thing that God's not saying, okay, well, I tell you what, let's, let's keep that kind of hidden if we can. Let's keep that over in the closet where nobody sees and if somebody stumbles across it, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's taking it and bringing it to full display and letting everyone know, just so you don't forget, Bathsheba is in this line as well. You guys with me? Amen? Okay, so let's go on here and we go to this next slide. And this, and this says, it should be 12 and 13. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah or Jesus Christ. And make note of this, by the way. Do you see how Matthew writes that? He was the husband of Mary, but he is not listed as the father of Jesus. Do you know why? Because who was the father of Jesus? God himself was the father of Jesus. And yet what an incredible honor to be chosen to be the earthly father that is in some ways a small representation of the heavenly father. What an amazing thing. And isn't it incredible that this is the story and the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah and all of this is dragged into public view. It is set down in front of us and said, this is what it means to be a part of Christ's family. These are his kind of people. The one who could have changed it did not. The one who could have hidden it did not. He instead did the exact opposite and drug it right into full view and said, These are the kind of people that identify with me and I, in turn, identify with them. It's powerful. It is powerful. And why in the world, Randy, are you making an exception to talk about a Christmas story and a Christmas message whenever it's, you know, kind of been the thing that you don't do whenever Christmas is past, you move right on to New Year's or whatever? I can't think of a better time than to talk about what Christ is doing, because here's what I know. They tell us in in psychological circles that the moment that we have been hurt oftentimes stops us in our growth until we can reconcile ourselves to the hurt and the trauma that we've been through. Oftentimes they will tell you that if you were maybe dealt with in some physical harm as a child, That in some ways, your growth as an individual internally and emotionally and spiritually is almost stunted at that age, and you don't really progress beyond it until you can get past that, until you can reconcile and redeem that past. And so for some of us and some of you today, you're frozen in a rut that you can't move past because you and I Our natural inclination is not to bring something to the light when it embarrasses us. The natural inclination for us is to do what? Man, push it back into the dark. Push it back into the dark. Don't let people know who you really are or where you really come from. Because, you you know, oh, that's embarrassing. I don't want to talk about it. Or if they see that, they might think less of me. I don't know about you. I've got things in my past that I'm not proud of. And I don't weekly, every Sunday, bring this and drag this into the light. I don't do that, but I will have conversations. I've had conversations personally with some of you guys, some of you ladies. I've had personal conversations where I've said, that's something I dealt with in my past. And you might have even been surprised. But here's what I have figured out and found out. For me personally, the more open I am about what I've been through, The more God gets glory and the more that people go, well, if he's fine with it, then I can be fine with my past and I can let God use my past to be a blessing to someone else. You see, the difficulty that we have as a church is for most of us, we are not authentic. We would rather pretend that we've got it all together then give it all to God and say I ain't got it all together and you know what that's okay because Christ didn't choose the people that had it all together to be in his line in his family to be the people that brought his goodness to the world the truth is is that God uses all broken vessels and that is how he has always chosen to do it and he's not embarrassed he's not embarrassed of his past He's not ashamed of the people that he came from. He's not embarrassed of things, by the way. He's not embarrassed of things that he had no control over. Some of you are embarrassed that something happened to you that you had no control whatsoever over whether it's a shaming or something even worse or even darker and more sinister, many of you are dealing with trauma that you've never brought into the light because you're ashamed that somebody did something to you that you could not have prevented, and yet it's put you in chains and held you in a place that you can't get past. I'm not trying to poke at a sore or poke at a sore spot, but I'm trying to be as honest as I possibly can. If we are called to be like Christ, he embraced where he came from and what his past was. His past did not define him. He defined and redefined and redeemed his past. You guys with me? Can you say amen? Amen. Okay, so let's move on very quickly. And I believe, uh, yeah, outsiders by gender, outsiders by nationality or race, outsiders by their practice or their past, something that they did, they chose to do. And by the way, let's not pretend that we haven't chosen things that we wish we could redo or undo. But you know what? (laughs) That's who I used to be. That's not who I am anymore. That's how you deal with it. That's what I used to do. I was way off, man. I was way off. I thought that was cool. It wasn't. I thought that was good. (laughs) It wasn't. I thought that would bring me peace. It didn't. And then you just say, but now that I know Christ, I've left all that stuff and junk behind, and I don't miss it, I instead enjoy where I am. That's how you just go beyond those things, even if you chose them for yourself. Very quickly, let's go again. This next slide, this is the big idea. As a Christian, never give your past your permission to control your present. You guys say that out loud with me on the count of three. Ready, one, two, three. As a Christian, never give your past your permission to control your present. How many of you know that your present determines your future? It does, right? I mean, wherever you're walking right now and wherever you're choosing, it doesn't mean that you can't make some adjustments. Not that at all. But you can't continue to stay on that path forever without it affecting your future. So here's what I would say. For many of us, we are giving our past our own permission to control how we feel about today how we relate to other people today, how we carry ourselves in the world today, what we are willing to give an opportunity in our own lives today. We give ourselves no problems, you know, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. That's too big of a problem for me. I can't handle it. I'm not that strong, all because of the past that we've given permission to control us. But don't miss this, uh, as we move to this next slide, your history will always be a part of your story. Your choices determine if it is a prologue or if it becomes the plot of your life. You can never conquer what we cannot confess. That is true in our lives. We can never conquer what we cannot confess. It will always have a hold on us. And we determine with our own, you know, the way that we relate to our past, we determine if it's just prologue to a great story or if it's going to be the plot line of our life that we can never get out of. If you guys understand the difference, can y'all just simply raise your hand? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all know what I'm saying. It's prologue where it becomes the plot, but we make that choice and decision. God's power is there to go beyond. It is. Let's go to our next slide here very quickly. Well, if you're wondering, well, Randy, I don't know. Maybe that's me, maybe that's not. I don't really know. Can I just say, this is maybe four or five ways that you can kind of see if your past is controlling you. If you've got constant comparisons to other people, if there's a lack of joy, even when you accomplish goals because somebody else is doing better than you are, well, so that's probably a bad thing and a bad sign. Or if you're consistently tearing down others, And tearing them down somehow makes you feel better. Or if you're stuck in a rut that you can't seem to get out of, or if you lack, you know, you have a lack of full honesty, even when you know you can trust people, it's very possible that these are signs that your past has got you bound up and you've not passed your past, so to speak. Okay? So these are five different ways. This is not scientific, this is not something, but. I would say, if you're honest with yourself and you look at that list and you say there's three or four things on there, your past has probably got way too much control of your present, and you sure don't want that to continue where it controls your, what am I going to say, your future. All right, let's go to our next slide. And I've talked about this over and over. We've talked about Christmas, light shines in the dark. We say that if you ever feel darkness creeping in emotionally, spiritually, relationally, of uh, relationally, I think you need to seek the light of Christ. And I've shared this over and over during this Christmas season. That sometimes the thing that you need the most is the thing that you're going to want the least. But this is what you need to do to get past those things in your past. You need to seek the light of Christ. Bring those in and say, Jesus, if you could redeem all of those people in your story, I know that you can redeem my story as well. Let's go to our next slide. Very quickly, how do you embrace the light? You embrace the light by embracing your past as prologue. You have to stop seeing it as something that still affects you today. Tim Keller said this, in Jesus Christ, prostitute and king, male and female, Jew and Gentile, one race or another race, moral and immoral, they all sit down as equals. And I love this part here at the very end. He said, equally sinful and lost, equally accepted and loved. Isn't that good? For all of us as people who are part of Christ's family, we are all equally sinful and lost. Can I get an amen? Amen. Equally sinful and lost. And we are also all equally accepted and loved. Can I get an amen on that too? But the question is, do you live like that? Or do you just know it? Because see, the big difference comes when you stop knowing it up here. Podcast people, I'm pointing to my head, all right? You know it up here. But you don't know it here, and I'm pointing to my chest right now, right? So you've got to let it go from here to the head and down to the heart. This is the longest distance in the whole world right here. Things that you know versus things that you live and know, (laughs) right? So let's keep going here very quickly. You embrace the light by embracing your past as prologue. And then you run an honest scan of self right now. You see, our past is just prologue if we are proud of the way that we are living or the direction that we are moving right now. You see, we've all been people who've had one of those times in our life where we're not proud of where we were. We look down at our feet and we're like, this is not where I want to be standing. I want to be over there. But isn't it interesting how we feel different where we say, you know, we look down at our feet and our feet are moving in a direction that we're proud of. And we say, I'm not where I was yesterday, I'm not yet where I wanna be, but I'm moving in the right direction, right? And so you run an honest scan of yourself and you see, is this good or is this bad? And can I just say, can, can I just make this real, real applicable? Have you noticed how negative things are in our social media space? And by the way, just in case you were wondering, just because it comes from your burner account, it's still a sin. Can I get an amen on that, right? I mean, you know, you send something hateful to someone from the burner account, it's still you and it's still sinful, all right? So look at this. I love this next slide here. He says, I noticed a guy on Facebook that was better than me at mounting TVs. So instead of hating on him, I reached out and offered him to pay him to teach me how to protect, perfect my craft. Stop right there. Y'all see that all the time, right? I mean, online, somebody says, hey, I'm doing this, and then somebody chimes in with negativity for no reason or purpose, right? You don't know why, but somebody feels it's better for them if they tear someone else down. I love this. This guy's like, man, I saw him and he was better than me, and instead of getting upset or tearing him down or saying something negative or hateful to him, I decided that I would lift him up and I would reach out to him. Can you see how much more Christ-like that is? And he says, instead of hating on him, I reached out. I offered to pay him to teach me how to perfect my craft. He didn't accept the money, but instead we formed a partnership, and the rest is history. And then he says, brothers, don't hate. We elevate each other. Can I get an amen, right? Man, I mean, if your whole life might change if you just decide to have that last line as your you know, brothers and sisters. We don't hate on other brothers and sisters. We elevate one another. If I can't say something nice, I don't say nothing at all. That's old school. That's how it used to be. But that's not what we're doing in our world today. We're finding reasons to hate and tear people down. And here's another way. If you've never figured it out, you can always just do the red light, yellow light, green light. This is a perfect way of judging where you are in your life. Red night. I need to stop doing this right now, okay? And then fill out whatever that is. And then you ask yourself, what is it that I need to be careful of that might get a hold of me and take me down the wrong path if I just keep going on that path without being circumspect, without being wise? And then what is the one thing, you know what, I've got this going in my life and I definitely need to keep going on that path because it's a good thing. So if you're ever wanting to do a self-evaluation, it's just as easy as a stoplight. What do you need to stop? What do you need to be careful of? And what do you need to keep doing? It's just that easy. And if you did that in your life a lot where you're talking about a relationship or spiritually or with your kids or with your finances, there's so much there to learn and you're smarter than you realize But most of us just never hit the pause button long enough to look and do a little bit of self-evaluation and then make the changes that we need to make. So how else can we embrace the light? Thirdly, well, first of all, you embrace your past as prologue. You run an honest scan of yourself right now and get moving in the path that brings you pride. And then you set Romans 8.1 as your ready reminder when doubt creeps in. Here's what I mean. Have you guys ever had that thing? (laughs) where you made a good decision, and you started going in the right path, and then you go, you know what? I just feel like this gloom and this doubt, like I'm not going to make it, or I'm not going to keep going, or I'm, I'm play acting here, or I've got imposter syndrome, or whatever the list might be, where you are telling yourself with all this negative self-talk in your head, That you're never going to be good enough to be accepted by God. And that you'll never be a good enough representation of him to be one of his ambassadors. You'll never be a person who can be that kind of person of faith. And you let it sink in and seep in. And it creeps in and gets a hold of you and stops you dead in your tracks. Asking for a friend. Has it happened to one of your friends, right? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's happened to all of us. It's happened to all of us. So here's what I would say. Romans 8, 1. So simple, so short, and yet so powerful. Therefore, there is now, what's these two words that I highlighted and bolded here? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the way I used to be. That's not who I am anymore. I've been remade. I've been made new. There is now no condemnation. So if you ever feel that creeping in, you begin to say again and again and again, there's no condemnation. I'm not going to let my past be the plot of my life until I die. I'm going to change it and it will be prologue to a story that brings God all kinds of glory. That's what we should be shooting for. Amen. And so I share with you the history of Jesus as we bring it into the light We allow him to redeem it for his purposes and then we move forward in the path that he gives us. These are the ways that we let past be prologue rather than be the plot of our life. If you want 2022 to be different, you probably have to get that past that's holding you down into the light and dealt with once and for all. And then if you can, keep moving in that path and keep reminding yourself there's no condemnation. That stuff's already been forgiven. It doesn't have to be rehashed or re-rehearsed. I leave it in the presence of God, and I let him change me from this point forward. Amen? All right, so very quickly, what is it? <laughs> What's that thing in your past that's still got a hold of you? And who can I safely share it with? This is your question for yourself. What is it? And who can I safely share it with? And then when will I share it? These are the three steps to getting it past your situation. Getting it, bringing in, letting it shine, being redeemed, and then moving on. It's just identify what it is, identify who you can safely share it with, and then when will you share it? Can I tell you one more thing? Did you notice? (laughs) Did you notice what Jesus did? He didn't really worry about who he was sharing it with. crazy like he didn't care if they were friendly or kind or nice he just shared it with everybody because it wasn't him anymore you see for most of us we're desperate to make sure that only the people that we can trust know if you're if you need the training wheels that's cool but can i just share with you i found out something when i feel like a fool if i call it out and say you know what i don't really know what you're talking about (laughs) can you help me understand that People don't think I'm a fool. They think I'm just a normal person. Because for most of us, we're desperately trying to hide what we know and what we don't know. And we just simply say, trust me or not, trust you or not, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to let you as a friend or an enemy determine what God is doing in my life. For most of us, we never tell an enemy our weaknesses. But the incredible thing is, is if we're willing to take our weaknesses and say, that's where I used to be, but that's not where I am anymore. They've got no more ammo to hit us with. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Just a thought. Yeah, they say that the word to the wise is sufficient. I don't know, take that for whatever it's worth. But don't stay where you are. Keep moving and changing. All right, so let's very quickly ask this big question. What part of your past is still affecting your present and what may be determining your future because you haven't brought it into the light and let God redeem it yet? Let's check out this movie. If only I could go back and change things, set things straight. I wish I had a do-over. I've made choices. I've lost out. I've wished a thousand times I could go back and try again. It's hard not to imagine what might have been. If I had just stopped to think. If I had just done as I was told. If I hadn't thought I knew it all. Why didn't I just take a few deep breaths? took one second to listen. Maybe my life would be better. Maybe there wouldn't be such a high price to pay things would be different now. I wouldn't have so many regrets. But is everything lost? Can I just get a do-over? Is there a way back to new beginnings? Because regret can mean a new beginning. When it's given to the one who produces a repentance. A repentance that delivers me from my grief. The one who takes my mistakes. And somehow, redeems me through them. Who tells me I am not the sum total of all my regrets? He tells me not to look back. Because there's nothing there to see. I am not my mistakes. He is faithful and just to forgive me. I just have to ask Him. And then I can look straight forward. Forget what is behind me. And strain towards what is ahead. And walk away with all regrets erased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every day I'm given a clean slate. A clean slate. I get a clean slate.